but a brown bird sang in the apple tree, and a butterfly flitted across the field, and all the leaves were calling me. And the wind went sighing over the land, tossing the grasses to and fro, and a rainbow held out its shining hand. So what could I do but laugh and go? What could I do but laugh and go? We all need someone, sometimes, to hold out a shining hand to us. Sometimes that's a rainbow. Sometimes it's Lennon and McCartney. Let's sing together, shall we? <clears throat> What would I do if I sang out of tune? Would you stand up and walk out on me? Lend me your ears and I'll sing you a song And I'll try not to sing out of key Oh, I get by with a little help from my friends mm, I get by with a little help from my friends Oh, I get by with a little help from my friends What do I do when their love is away? Does it worry you to be alone? How do I feel by the end of the day? I feel sad because you're on your own. Oh, I get hard with a little help from my friends. Mmm, I get hard with a little help from my friends. Mmm, I'm gonna try with a little help from my friends. Do you? Welcome to the Washington Ethical Society. I'm Rajesh Vidyasagar. My personal pronouns are he, him, his, and I am so glad that you're here this morning. Visitors and guests, we hope that you have a blue name tag so that we know who you are and can welcome you uh, and answer any questions that you might have. Uh, we love talking about why this community is so important to us, and we'd like to hear from you what you're looking for. Please join us after the platform service for coffee and cookies in the lobby and in the social hall. Uh, also, please consider sharing your email with us on the gold sheet in your program uh, so we can add you to our mailing list. Please drop it in the collection box as it passes uh, later in the platform service. I want to remind you, please, to silence your electronic devices so you can be fully present this morning. Uh, and now I invite Reagan Conlon to read our statement of purpose so we might hear our shared values in each other's voices.
The Washington Ethical Society is a humanistic congregation that affirms the worth of every person. We strive through our relationships to elicit the best in the human spirit. With faith in human goodness, we appreciate each person's unique capacities. We joyfully celebrate together and support each other through life. We nurture a sense of reverence and responsibility for each other and the earth. If you are new to our community of children and adults, we warmly invite you to join us as we work for a world where love and justice cross all borders. Thank you, Reagan. As uh, Reagan lights our community candle, I invite you all to join me in the candlelighting words. May we kindle within us the warmth of compassion, the light of understanding, and the fire of commitment to build a brighter future for all. We ring this bell in solidarity with people around the world, and today we especially honor mothers. All those who mother, birth mothers, adoptive mothers, mothers who have lost children, and those who yearn to mother, holding and honoring all that we carry this day. As we listen to the chime, let us remember our connection to each other and the world around us. Let us hold in our hearts all that hurts in the world. Let us commit ourselves to all that calls for our work and our love. I invite you now to a time of meditation. Make yourselves comfortable, close your eyes if you prefer, relax your body, and focus on your breath. Feel it filling your lungs in and out, in and out. Take a deep breath, and as you breathe in, fill your heart with the joy of being alive. In out. Remember your best friend when you were growing up? Breathe in, breathe out. Think of what fun you had together, the games you played, the things you did together. Breathe in, breathe out. Imagine what you felt and the joy of playing. And now, imagine you're making something, shaping something of beauty. 
Imagine that feeling when you were immersed in the deep. That feeling of flow. The joy of creating. Breathe in. Breathe out. Now imagine you're out in the woods and every tree, every branch, every leaf seems to be in focus, pulsing with life. Breathe in, breathe out. And as you take an in-breath, remember your favorite piece of music. Maybe you listened. Maybe you played. Enjoy the music. Dance to the music. Breathe in. Breathe out. Breathing in, we sense ourselves receiving light, love, fun, and aliveness. Breathing out, we offer our hearts into the world. Breathe in, and breathe out. I'm 
particularly uh, playful meditative song, which is also similar to my experience of meditation <laughs> most of the time, I am sorry to say. Perhaps as you walked into platform this morning, you found yourself hopping just a little. Before I share more, I want to invite you to watch a video with me of what happened uh, when a hopscotch court was painted on a city side. today can be summed up as try not to be the people taking pictures, <laughs> be more like the ones hopping. Whether you can hop or not, you know, it's a metaphor. 
I've been in a um, clergy support group for many years, and it's a group of about six of us um, serving different congregations and in different ministries around the area. And we check in with each other mostly, you know, and sort of how are things going. And because we're all clergy, that's a lot of like soulful looking in people's eyes and saying, no, really, how's it going? You know, and then they look at you even, and then they wait and pause, but really. <laughs> Which is all well and good and often exactly what we need. But I have one colleague who, after each of us has soulfully looked in each other's eyes and asked meaningful questions like, you know, how's your self-care regimen? And are you taking time to really meditate each day? He says things like, have you had fun recently? What did you do to play? He is a good player himself, so he knows what he speaks of, the importance of play in our lives. And of course, it's not just him, right? There's more and more research out there about how important it is, not just for children to play. We know that, you know, early childhood educators will tell us that the children's most important work is play, is figuring out those neural connections that help them to be successful adults later. But more and more research tells us how important it is for adults to play as well. Jennifer Wallace wrote an article in the Washington Post about a year ago where she talked about researchers, as she wrote, turning their attention to the possible benefits of play for adults. What they're finding is that play isn't just about goofing off. Uh, side note, that could be good too. It can also be an important means of reducing stress and contributing to overall well-being. Playful adults, she wrote, have the ability to transform everyday situations, even stressful ones, into something entertaining. She cites uh, psychologist Barnett, who co-authored a study that found that highly playful young adults, those who rated themselves high on personality characteristics such as being spontaneous or energetic or open to clowning around. I really enjoy the idea of a research study where you mark if you're open to clowning around. Check, yes I am. <laughs> Reported less stress in their lives and possessed better coping skills, end quote. Better coping skills sounds like a good idea to me, and in fact, play is often itself a coping skill. I asked on Facebook recently <clears throat> to, you know, sort of all of my Facebook friends whether people had examples of using games in their daily lives to help them get through challenging situations, whether they were really, really difficult, hard situations, or simply the everyday challenges and annoyances of living. And of course, as you can imagine, I got lots of responses from parents who used games of some kind to get their children to do anything from get out of bed in the morning to put their shoes on on the way out to school. The favorite in my family is the don't eat your carrots game my younger daughter really doesn't like um, vegetables, and so at one point I came up with the idea that you know she she'd eaten her food except for her carrots, and I said, um, well maybe I thought to myself I'll use a little reverse psychology. So I told her she was forbidden from eating her carrots uh, that evening, and as you can imagine, she 
took a minute, but then decided that sounded pretty fun, and so sneaked a bite when I wasn't looking, and I made a big deal, you know, oh my god, you ate a carrot, how dare you, you're in huge trouble, and on and on until all of the carrots were gone. Well, <laughs> the amazing thing about this particular reverse psychology game that we play is that she now requests it. So there will be, at dinner, she's got the vegetables on her plate, and I'll be doing my usual, you know, we've got to get going, you have to practice piano, it's shower night, let's move along. And she'll say, Mommy, Mommy, be funny. I don't have time to be funny, it's shower night tonight. Mommy, Mommy, tell me I can't eat my carrots. And so I enter into the game of not being allowed to eat your carrots. It works for other uh, food items, too. I encourage you to try it yourself. Folks talked on Facebook about using playful dog tricks when they were training a shy dog. One family has found it's helpful to use um, boogers as the answer to every question when emotions run high. Um, what are we going to have for dinner, says the angry spouse boogers. Um, all over and over looking for the ridiculous and the silly. Years ago, I was reading an article about um, couples therapy, and a therapist was recommending a particular technique. If you are part of or have ever been part of a couple, you might be familiar with the one fight. You know what I mean? It's not the fight that ends the relationship, that's a different thing, but it's the one fight that you just have every, what would you say, maybe two months or so. And there's no solution to the fight because the fight's just the one fight and you both think different things, you're not gonna come to a resolution, but you do have to have it again, it's annoying each time. And it's amazing how even though you've had it before and you know you'll have it again, you're just really, really into it when you have it, you know? Because it is that, it's a good one, that one fight. It's worth fighting. This couple's therapist was talking in the article about that one fight that most couples have and, um, and suggested that couples have t-shirts made up for it <laughs> to save time, you know? So get t-shirts, one of which has your position, you know, you, you put the plates in the dishwasher first. And the other has the other position. No, you have to start with the silverware. It's really important, you guys. And if you're going to have that fight, you, you've got to go and put the t-shirts on before you have it. It's the rule, family rule. Everybody go, get the t-shirts, put it on, and now you can, you know, like, go to it, really. The couples therapist recommended it as a way to get people out, of course, of their stuck positions. And really, if you have to go and put a t-shirt on, by the time you get there, it feels pretty ridiculous to have that one fight again. Although you can go ahead and have it, it might be good for you. You'll just enjoy being well-dressed for it at the same time. I watched a TED Talk recently by, um, uh, woman named Simone Geertz. Um, she's an inventor, and, um, and her specialty is making useless things, uh, most of which don't even work for the thing that they could potentially be useless for. So she had a, um, a helmet that is supposed to brush your teeth. Uh, it's quite a contraption, and um, 
uh, sort of rotating thing. If you wanted a snack, you could put popcorn on it, and it goes all the way around your head on a track. And then there's a little tiny hand with a lever, and it can push the popcorn. You get about one kernel for every 20 that you put on the, on the rotating piece. And she was showing off these useless things, inventions. Because of the internet, it's actually a viable career choice. She's um, created a niche for herself, and she does motivational speaking around the country, and apparently draws an entire salary from inventing these things. But the reason it um, works that way, the reason people pay her to go and tell them about her useless inventions, is that she also tells the story of her own perfectionism of the challenges that she struggled with through school and young adulthood when she tried to do everything just right. She wanted to explore engineering and hardware, and um, she didn't want to get caught up in the need to do it perfectly. And so she decided that if her goal was to invent something useless that would fail, she couldn't possibly mess up. She would be able to escape her own perfectionism. And so she started with this um, toothbrush helmet, which is remarkably useless. I mean, it's way more work and significantly less effective than brushing your teeth with a toothbrush in your hand. And yet, it opened her up out of that perfectionism, out of the place of stuckness that she had found herself in. Playfulness can do that for us. You see playfulness, too, in activism sometimes, in resistance work. I suspect many of you have been to marches or protests in the last, oh, let's say, year and a half or so, or more, perhaps. My favorite signs at those protests are the ones that make me laugh a little bit, that shake me up, that get me thinking differently, because they're kind of funny, you know? Because it tells us that it's okay even in the midst of this thing we care deeply about and are perhaps scared about and worried about, that it's okay also to laugh a tiny bit. I went looking for some of my favorites. I, I really like the classic, you know it's bad when even the introverts come out to the march. <laughs> Have you seen that one? There was also, I've seen better cabinets at Ikea. I thought that was good. And then a great big one, a lot of words. What do we want? Respectful discourse. When do we want it? Now would be nice, but I'm interested in your opinion too. <laughs> Playfulness invites us out of the places where we are stuck, the places where our thinking isn't as creative as we might wish it were. Some of you know that I'm particularly interested in systems theory and family systems thinking, which is a way to understand people and communities and families and even the whole world, any kind of system, any group. And it asks us to understand ourselves as part of a system, to see our place in a system, and also to be able to step a tiny bit outside and to look at our place in the system, right? 
often when we do systems thinking, we talk about being able to stand on the balcony and look out, giving us a little bit of a bird's eye view so that we can be not just reactive, but responsive to things around us. I don't know about you, but it's when I'm most reactive that I am stuck the most, you know. When something gets its emotional hooks into me and I just find myself in the midst of my reactivity around it, unable to really look at what's going on. It's possible that might be about the dishwasher sometimes. It might be about something else much bigger and deeper. One of the things I like about systems thinking is that it encourages playfulness as a way to get out of that reactivity, as a way to get out of the emotional stuckness, the hooks that situations and people get into us, the way they get, you know, under your skin. There's actually a book I purchased a couple years ago called The Systems Thinking Playbook. I will say this book was $70. Apparently fun is very expensive, but so I'm happy to lend it to anyone who's curious. I don't necessarily recommend that you buy it. It's by Linda Booth Sweeney and Dennis Meadows, and it, it, it's just what it sounds like. It's a series of games to help people think in a systems way, to help people build their creative and playful muscles so that they can get out of the stuck place and up onto the balcony of responsiveness and engagement, unhooked engagement. Sweeney and Meadows write, games permit us to learn about complex systems while we're interacting with others. They offer the chance to make mistakes without great consequences, and they are fun. All of those games sort of shake your brain out of regular ways of thinking, inviting you to playfully engage. And in, indeed, that's a practice of systems thinking more generally. David Lee Jones, a uh, minister, was writing in the Presbyterian Outlook a couple of years ago, uh, writing about Edwin Friedman, who's the sort of author of much of the systems theory that applies to congregational life. So Jones was writing specifically for clergy people who were wanting to use this kind of thinking in their congregational contexts. He wrote, the best way to unravel the knots of anxiety in any system is to learn to be playful, devilish, and irreverent. Oh, it sounds good, playful, devilish, and irreverent. I feel like we could do that here. Jones goes on, Henry Ward Beecher, who was a famous minister in the um, 19th century, a Unitarian minister, once received a letter from one of his angry parishioners that had only one word, fool, exclamation point. <laughs> I'm pleased they haven't quite received that yet. <laughs> Beecher, known for his quick wit, said from the pulpit, I guess he shared the letter with his congregation. I have known many a man who wrote a letter and forgot to sign his name. This week I received a letter where a man signed his name but forgot to write the letter. <laughs> B. 
Beecher, Jones wrote, understood the power of reframing conflict and reversing systemic polarity by doing the opposite, by responding playfully. Imagine then, outside of a congregational context, take a moment to bring to mind a, a system, a context, or a relationship that's hard for you. One that doesn't just annoy you, but that gets under your skin, that has its little claws in you. You know what I mean, right? The relative where when you go home for family dinner, that one relative, even though you mean to not let them bug you, they just get you every time. Or the coworker where it's like nails on a chalkboard, you just, you know, it bothers you more than you wish it would. That's the key, right? Where you think to yourself, gosh, I wish I weren't so stuck and caught by this. Imagine bringing some of the playfulness of systems thinking to that relationship, responding as Henry Ward Beecher did. That sort of PhD level playfulness, I think, but there are other ways as well. One of them, as Jones writes, is to learn to be intentionally dumb smart or confused like Lieutenant Columbo. Does anyone remember Columbo from the mysteries, you know? He was sort of always bumbling along, like he didn't have any idea what was going on while solving the case, playing dumb smart so that people gave him more information than they meant to. Play a little dumb sometimes, a playful way to get people unhooked. You can play games with yourself, too, in those scenarios. One of my favorites, and it works especially well with that one person who drives you just a little bit up the wall. You know the one where you can almost predict what it is that they're going to say, but it still bothers you when they say it? Make a bingo card for yourself. You think, I'm kidding, but I'm totally serious. Put it on your phone. You'll just seem like you're regular rude while you're on there, you know? Or, or write it on a napkin or the palm of your hand. Make sure you have a space for every single thing, you know? Oh, they asked me if I really wanted dessert. There we go. Check. Oh, <laughs> wondered if I had been dating at all recently. Check. Yep. Read that article about how working mothers aren't good for their children. Check. <laughs> and then when you get bingo, make sure that you have someone that you can text or tell that you've made it. Look at that bingo, and it only took 10 minutes. I like to time things sometimes, too. If you don't have uh, time or space for a whole bingo card, just decide how long will it be before that coworker or relatives mentions that one thing that they always bring up. And think how exciting it will be if they beat your time. If you thought it would be a whole five minutes, but they get it in at three minutes, 20 seconds. I mean, that's an exciting day right there. Be playful with the people that hook us that get us, and you take back the power they have over you, you know? It becomes your own game played on the palm of your hand or your phone or in your mind. And suddenly, you find a shift 
in how you are in the space. That's the trick, you know, right? It's such a bummer. Turns out you can't change other people. I really, I always wish I had a different solution for that. I would give it to you after using it myself. But you can't actually change other people. And so what you can do is change how you react. Change how serious or playful you feel about the tricky situation that you find yourself in. Sometimes being playful can go even deeper. Some of the answers that I got on that Facebook query were about people who used humor and playfulness in some of the most difficult times of their lives. Gallows humor, it's sometimes called, and I'll tell you that nurses and hospital chaplains have it in spades, but families do too sometimes going through illness or challenge. One of my friend's mothers was struggling with breast cancer from which she eventually went into remission. It was a difficult time and there was plenty of need for just care and support for hand-holding and love. And she also enjoyed getting out of vacuuming by pulling the cancer card, which I believe she actually created and pulled out. You know, it's cancer card time. There's no way I'm going to do that chore. I mean, you might as well use it. Not everyone, of course, plays the same. In that Post article by Jennifer Wallace, she wrote, in a study published in April in the journal Personality and Individual Differences, it must be a long journal, don't you think? Personality and individual differences. Hello, people. Researchers examined the complexities of adult playfulness in an effort to tease out patterns of behavior. They identified four types of playful adults. So listen and see where you think you might show up. Those who outwardly enjoy fooling around with friends, colleagues, relatives, and acquaintances. I think those are the goof-off people, right? Those who are generally lighthearted and not preoccupied by the future consequences of their behavior. <laughs> those who play with thoughts and ideas. And those who are whimsical, exhibiting interest in strange and unusual things and are amused by small, everyday observations. The private chucklers, I think, of those. <laughs> what is your kind? You might be the first person to jump into the hopscotch court, or you might not. It could be that you're coming up with a funny riddle in your head, or playing with a math idea and trying to untangle it, or marking off your bingo card at family dinner. Some way to play. So how do we get ourselves playful if we aren't feeling that way? Whether it's because we are emotionally hooked and stuck in a difficult situation, or simply because we can't sort of figure out the funny ways to engage. I've told you it sometimes takes my daughter saying to me, be funny, mama, <laughs> telling me she needs me to be playful and silly so that she can get the carrots done. Even though I, I know that would make it easier, you know, we get ourselves so, um, so stuck in routine sometimes. How do we access that playful part of our brains? Well, I would say it helps to go to a playground 
We brought a playground to West last week. Some of you were here for our play day last Sunday where we took platform and turned it upside down. There was a huge moon bounce, which almost fit right here. <laughs> it was slightly taller than we imagined. And uh, band and games in the social hall and art downstairs. And the thing that I noticed at both platforms was how adults would come up to the sort of table of games or the art table and look at it. Oh, that looks fun. Oh, neat. Oh, it looks like it could be fun. Hmm. And then little by little, invitation by invitation, they would start to dive in until by the end of our hour together, they were playing Bananagrams and doing the little droppy art thing with the spray bottle. And even after the seal was broken by a couple of brave souls jumping on the moon bounce, I will say that those of us that partook in the moon bounce found that it's possible that children's um, leg muscles are differently developed than ours <laughs> because that was very challenging. I didn't, last Sunday, have trouble jumping in, although sometimes I have trouble being playful. And I think it is because I had been practicing. I went to Walt Disney World recently with my family. It was my very first time going anywhere like that. I'd never been to a Disney anything. I hadn't even been to Six Flags before. And I was unprepared and wasn't sure if I would like it or not. Now, you can say a lot of things about Disney, from them having incredible brand integrity to them being sort of, you know, the um, ultimate in commercialism and materialism in our country. But they are all in at Disney World. Every single person working there is all in on the playground that they are creating. And the people that are there are all in, too. That's the thing that caught me by surprise. Everybody was walking around with t-shirts that said if they were a Disney mom or a Disney kid or a Disney boo-boo or something. It was all like the t-shirts, the outfits, and the ears. People walk around Disney with Mickey ears. I had no idea. I thought that you would see other, like, there, people are employed to dress up at Disney. No. You also will want to spend your money on ears. And here's what I decided. I could walk around thinking that it was sort of ridiculous to buy ears to wear at Disney. Where else were you going to wear them, you know? It's to spend money on these sort of commercial things that you were only convinced you needed because you were in the midst of all of this. Or you could just <laughs> go for it and think there you were in the middle of Disney World, and you and your children should probably have ears to wear while you walk around, because if you're at Disney, you might as well go all in. You might as well jump in the hopscotch court. You might as well walk around in 87-degree heat wearing felt ears on your heads, which means, by the way, you can't wear your hat, which you got because it was really practical to have your face covered, but no, then you wouldn't be able to have your ears on. 
There are a lot of different kinds of ears at Disney. I didn't realize that either. I mean, it's an entire industry, the ears alone. You can get standard Mickey ears, and then you can get mini ears, and then you can get ears that are actually decorated to look like any of the different Disney princesses. Like they'd have a shell on them, and then those are aerial ears, or like a yellow bow, and then that's a bell ear. We spent a lot of time looking at ears in gift shops <laughs> over the course of our time at Disney, because obviously you had to get the right ears. <laughs> it, was, it was long. <laughs> but actually, I had an easy time. It was unanimous in my family. These are, if you can't tell, because it's obvious, Mary Poppins ears. Do you see the little hat she's got on? Remember her hat, her little hat? And there's a tiny cameo of a Mickey Mouse Mary Poppins. I think that's right there. And I'm not sure why there's a bow. That's just for fun in the back. Mary Poppins ears. I was raised on Mary Poppins, although I was raised first on the book version of Mary Poppins. If you have read the original book by P.L. Travers, you know that Mary Poppins in that version is actually quite strict. Other people have fun, the children have fun, but then she refuses to talk about it with them after. In fact, she pretends that she doesn't know what it is that they're referring to, and um, it's sort of like a gaslighting situation. <laughs> Disney took the Mary Poppins from the book and made her simply fun. And although usually I like the book versions better, in my parenting, when I am having to be reminded about the playful carrot game because I'm feeling too stressed about the time for showers coming up, I strive to be like the Disney Mary Poppins, to remember that everything goes down just a little bit better with a spoonful of sugar. Thank you.
So this is the time to share our playful